It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Welcome to Planet Logic. Today's episode, a conversation with Alan Northcutt. This is my third interview with Waco climate activist, Dr. Alan Northcutt. For this extended conversation, he came to my home in Temple and sat down with me in Fable Studio L. Our guest today is Dr. Alan Northcutt from Waco. He's a a doctor, a medical doctor, if I'm not mistaken, but also somebody who's an activist for the cause of climate change. Dr. Northcutt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be back. All right, well, it's nice to have you. Um, let's start with what Donald Trump has just done. He had announced earlier that he was going to pull the United States out of the Paris Agreement, and he came back on the very first day that legally he could do it, and he pulled us out of the agreement. What difference does that make? It makes a big difference. That was a horrible decision. Um, the United States has always been a leader in environmental issues. We were a leader in the climate area before he made this decision. So it harms us making progress on fighting um, climate breakdown. And um, it also hurts the U.S. economically. The future is renewable energy. There's no doubt. All all the countries in the world, and even you know, our corporations realize it too. They're all moving to renewables. Apparently, Mr. Trump is the only one who doesn't get that. But it will hurt us. We'll get behind, uh, basically. Um, we'll lose our, our, our supremacy, or, or you might say, in, in renewable energy, in the climate struggle by taking this action. So it's a bad decision all around. Well, let's talk about all of that, but let's go back to this whole idea of, of losing our supremacy in the world in energy. Fracking has done an amazing thing for the United States. It has virtually made us energy independent, and, and we can be an energy exporter if we want to, not just for oil, but also for natural gas. How is that not a good thing? Well, the problem is money is of no benefit on a dead planet. We, the science is very clear. We must move away from fossil fuels. And uh, fracking is one of the worst forms. It has so many negative side effects, in addition just to the fact that it produces fossil fuels. So uh, no, it's not a positive at all. We must convert to renewables. The science, the gold standard of the science, the IPCC says, we must be net zero on our emissions by 2050. If we are to promote you know, fracking and producing more, you know, extracting more fossil fuels, exporting it to other countries, 
uh, we're doing a horrible service to the planet, to our children, to the future of our children. So, uh, no, it's not the right way to go. Uh, scientifically. It seems like to me that fossil fuels have made the, not only the United States but the world what it is today. We live in a society that is enlightened, electrified, uh, a society that has running water. Uh, we, we live better lives than anyone in history has ever lived. Even in the poorest countries they have, they have more things that we didn't have back in the days of the Old West and certainly back in the revolutionary times. And fossil fuel has made that happen, hasn't it? Well, you're right, Lynn. I, I agree with that. We are, to a large extent, you know, uh, at the point we are today, um, all the amenities we have, uh, you know, we turn on our light switches or whatever. In the past, that's largely been done to fossil, f uh, due to fossil fuels. You're, you're right about that. But the time for fossil fuels is over. You know, its period in history is over. Think about when we went from uh, horses and horse-drawn carriages to the car. You know, the, the, the period of, of horses was over. And this could be viewed exactly the same way. And if you recall, there were people who opposed, you know, moving to automobiles and they were frightened by the, the you know, the cars and the, the uh, they were scary to some people and they wanted to stay with horses. So this is, this is the same thing. You know, horses had their period of time you know, whale oil had its period of time. If you want to look at, you want to look at history. Uh, fossil fuels had their, their period of time, but the science says if we continue, we're, we're looking at destruction of civilization as we know it. So we need to move on to the next and better technology, which is fossil fuel. It's better in every way. We have the technology. We just need to have the will to apply it. Let me ask you a question about electric cars. I don't have one. I think you do. Or yes. you have you have a, a hybrid. I have a full electric. A full electric car. Yeah. Are you in it today? I sure am. Oh, I want to see it before you go. Absolutely. I don't think I've ever really seen one. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you, do you need a charge before you go back home? I mean, no, sir. I mean, I'm no. just asking. Mm -hmm. So, want to be amenable here. But let me ask you this: in in the chain of events that charges the battery in your electric car, is there no fossil fuel involved anywhere? Um, yes, there's fossil fuel uh, involved, and studies have been done um, by the uh, uh, Union of Concerned Scientists is one such study, and they looked at the whole, you know, life cycle, you might call it, of, um, of an electric car, where its charge comes from, whether it comes from, you know, largely natural gas like in Texas or maybe coal in some other states, but even computing the emissions from that fossil fuel that charged the car, when you look at that and you look at the emissions from the car itself, you still, in all states, you come out ahead lower emissions with electric cars. And here's the thing, as we progress, as we, as we clean up our grid, as we move more and more to a higher percentage of renewables, then that electric car becomes cleaner too. You know, its whole, its whole footprint becomes lighter because, you know, the energy that, that charged that car has less emissions. And of course the car itself 
has basically zero emissions when it's running. So it's a matter of um, you know progress and this transition. It's not instantaneously zero mm. emissions if you look at how you charged it, but we will get there. I go to big cities all the time, uh, Dallas, Austin, San Antonio, Oklahoma City are the main ones I've been to recently, and I don't notice a difference in the quality of the air there than I do in Temple, Texas or Waco, Texas. But yet if you see the pictures of what happens in Beijing or places in China, people are walking around the streets wearing surgical masks. What's the difference? How, how come even with so many automobiles, a city like Dallas or Austin still has breathable air? Well, I think um, in the case of China, probably the major source was their coal-fired power plants. And I guess they had a lot of other heavy industries that were emitting. And a city like Dallas, you know, has a lot, has cleaner uh, energy uh, production. We're um, a majority uh, natural gas in our power plants here. We don't have all the emissions from coal-fired power plants. Mm -hmm. um, Isn't it true, so though, that uh, cars built today in the waning uh, year of 2019 and all, the emissions from those cars are nothing like they were, say, in 1980 even. Oh, absolutely. They, they, they have gotten much uh, cleaner in the sense that the miles per gallon. So if you burn less per gallon, then you're going to have less emissions. You're right. But the, the, the fact is we have to completely end the use of fossil fuels. Although the, you know, combustion, internal combustion cars do have better mileage and have lower emissions, that's not good enough you know, according to the science, because if we continue that indefinitely, it's still putting emissions in the atmosphere. And we have a very limited budget of how much more we can emit until we reach the point that the global temperature increase is going to be over 2 degrees C. And if we do that, we're looking at really catastrophic impacts. We're going to have impacts as it is, but the science says if we keep it below 2 or preferably below 1.5, these will be survivable. You know, we can adapt to these, but we can't just let it keep going and going. We, we could go up to five to seven degrees if we didn't take action, and that would be totally unsustainable. It would be a catastrophe for, for humanity. All right, I want to ask you about the cycles of, of climate over the decades and over the centuries and the millennia at some point. But while we're talking about cars, one of the things that has bothered me for a long time is you go to the gas pump, and in addition to Sid Miller saying howdy neighbor at you at every gas pump in the state of Texas, there's a little sign that says 10% ethanol. And I don't want ethanol in my gas. I don't think it's good for my engine. I was uh, attempting to buy a, a weed eater a couple of years ago, and the guy at the store said, don't bother. The one-cycle engines are destroyed by today's gasoline. And he, he said, if you do buy it, and you want to use the thing, then you're going to have to buy this additive, and you're going to have to put that in your gasoline to overcome the effects of the ethanol. I've also heard that it takes more fossil fuel to make ethanol than the ethanol saves. So what about those issues? Um, I'm not an expert on weed eaters, you know, and their engines, so I can't really, I can't really comment on that. I'm not a big proponent of uh, ethanol. I think, you know, when it's derived from corn for one thing to do it at the scale that 
we would need to if we really went in that direction would take a lot of uh, acreage away from, you know, food for humans. So I don't think it's mm-hmm. a good a good way to go. Um, as far as it being damaging to car engines, as far as I know, it's it it is safe. I mean, I think this was pretty extensively studied before it was started, but you know, so you may know something I do on that. I'm not an expert on that particular area because I don't support it. I, it's not the way to go. We need to go right now. People can buy hybrids, you know, if they need to. But really, the answer is battery. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Electrics, the charging network is getting large. I can drive to Dallas, to Austin, you know, wherever I need to, and I can charge you know, away from my home if, if required, and it works beautifully. All right. Let me ask you about nuclear. Uh, if we're going to go to the, probably the cleanest and safest form of energy, it might be nuclear reactors, even though we've had Chernobyl and we've had Three Mile Island and we've had Japan, the situation at, what was it, Fukushima, I believe is what it was called. Yes. Um, you have some waste from nuclear, but essentially it does not pollute the air in the manner of a fossil fuel. So what are your thoughts on nuclear? I am not a proponent of nuclear. Let me say that this is a controversial area in the climate movement. There are some well-respected climate scientists who support nuclear. And so I can't really fault someone if if they do support it. I don't support it because of a couple of reasons. We still don't have uh, a way to deal with nuclear waste. And you're right, it doesn't immediately, you know, um, impact the atmosphere. But, you know, we have all that nuclear waste that could easily be an accident. Some of them are in kegs and stuff that could leak. I think there's a big potential for disaster there. And I think if you ask the people in Fukushima if they think nuclear energy is safe, I don't think they would agree with that. You know, wouldn't the standards, though, be higher here? And I know we had Three Mile Island, but don't we learn from these things? I mean, when we, yeah, when we started man. flying airplanes back in the day, I don't think I would have wanted to fly on one because they had trouble uh, getting them right. But now they've got them right, and airplane, an airplane crash is now not, the, not the, the norm. I don't think we've learned. Some of our reactors are the same design as the reactors in Fukushima, and we have reactors that are near big population centers that are near fault lines, particularly California. They are trying to shut those down, and some of them have been shut down. I think they're too dangerous, and they're extremely expensive. If you compare, if you look at kilowatt, um, the charge per kilowatt hour, nuclear is about the most expensive form of electricity. Um, utility scale wind being the cheapest now. Utility scale wind is cheaper than uh, combined cycle natural gas. So it is the cheapest form now. So should every house have a windmill? <laughs> well, we're talking about, as I said, utility scale. 
when um, well, but wait, individual wait, wait, wind on. fields are not very practical. Why not? You've seen my house. I have a I have a probably a medium sized house by today's standards. What if I put solar panels, covered my entire roof with solar panels, and put a couple of windmills in the backyard? Then do I need a power company anymore? You just need a battery. Um, the reason I say that about uh, wind turbines. There are usually restrictions on how high a structure you can put in a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I don't think you could put a, a tall windmill. And, of course, they're put at great heights because there's stronger, stronger wind currents up there. So that's why that's done. Um, so you could do that. They're extremely, you know, they are expensive for, for individual people. Now, solar panels, that's definitely a way to go. I have solar on my roof. Extremely happy with it. If you want to, like you're saying, if you want to be independent from the grid, then you need to have a battery, obviously, because at night or if the wind, you know, if you did want a windmill, uh, maybe a, a small one, uh, when the wind wasn't blowing and at night, then you would need to rely on your battery. Battery technology is out there and it's growing all the time. Uh, new forms of battery, new battery chemistries are, are being developed. And I think the future is we're going to have better and better batteries, you know, that will uh, store longer, you know, yeah, charge but there, faster but there are laws. That, there are laws of physics that, that we're never going to overcome with regard to battery technology. And so at some point, we're going to reach the apex of what we can do with them. Look, I think everybody agrees. I'm a conservative. I'm not a climate change denier. I am a denier that humans can do much about it. You seem to think that they can do more than I think we can do. Mm -hmm. But I think we can agree on one thing. I want to drink clean water, and I want to breathe clean air. So I have no problem with that. But China, as I mentioned earlier, has a far bigger problem with pollution than we do. And if I've, some of the articles I've read recently are correct, China is, is trying to do some things about it. Why, mm -hmm. if every nation on Earth believes in climate change or believes that we should move away from fossil fuel into renewable energy and is doing the best thing that they can do, then why doesn't every country just do it? Why do we have to have a treaty? Why do we have to have a, a Paris climate accord? Because you know very well the United States is considered a rich country, and part of the reason they want the United States in there is to somehow transfer money to poorer developing countries that need help in, in their, their climate change, and they want to do it with our money. Well, of course, we need an accord. We need to have a, a system, an organization for this uh, where, you know, countries make pledges and then they they ratchet up their pledges is the idea. But yes, all countries uh, understand and accept the science. But to have a, you know, an accord makes total sense so we can all, you know, we can be working together on this problem. And let me say this, you you say you do accept the science of, of climate of uh, climate breakdown, which I prefer the term now, um, that's great. And but you want cleaner air. Well, then that is a definite reason you want to get rid of fossil fuels, because as we move to renewables, we're also decreasing the what you might call tailpipe pollution, uh, local pollution from, you know, from power plants. I'm not talking about the warming. I'm just talking about the what affects you locally, what affects the cleanliness of your air. And so that is a definite side, you know, benefit of moving to renewable energy. Cleaner air, 
and saving of lives. Well, you sure. Know, we're talking about we're talking about but globally millions. I think it's seven million die a year from air pollution. Seven million. But so, not in the United States. Well, no, but there, you know, thousands and let, thousands. Let in me the United let States me ask you this: die. I'm not denying that climate change exists. I'm what I'm saying is I don't think there's a whole lot that we can do about it because this is an awfully big planet, and the 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 um, the environment is a very large thing that is very hard to control, and so that's why we have God to do that. But let me ask you this. Since the earth was formed, if you believe in the Big Bang, and I'll just go there for the sake of it, I've, I've read uh, a brief history of time. Uh, if, if, you, if you accept that the earth was created by a God or by a Big Bang, one thing that you have to admit is that the climate of the earth has been changing for as long as it's been here. The earth was hot at first, it's cooled, we've had hot spells, we've had cold spells, we've had ice ages, many ice ages. Uh, it, it seems like to me that, that it's, it's a changing thing and that the change is constant and that the change is normal. Uh, I guess I'm confused, Lynn, because you said that you did accept oh, I accept climate the, the, science. Cli but well, no, wait, 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 not climate science as Alan that. Northcutt would accept it, but, but climate change is a constant on planet Earth and it has been since the, the planet was formed. Well, so what's different about what we're well, having now? Here's the difference. Um, Global CO2 levels have not been this high. We're at about 410, 411 parts per million right now. They haven't been this high in 800,000 years. And, and, we, and we know that. How? Nobody was here in 800,000 years ago. We have many scientific techniques to do that. We have ice core samples where we're able to drill down, get samples of ice that long ago, and there's bubbles in there, and we can analyze the CO2 in those bubbles. So scientists have a way to, to do that kind of analysis. Um, so it hasn't been that high in 800,000 years, but the main difference is it's the rapidity of change. That's what's difference between now and those cycles that you're talking about. Um, you know, we've had this change in, in CO2 since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. This is a huge change for just, you know, a couple of hundred years. That's the problem. And when you look back over, you know, geologic time, the, of the mass extinctions that we have had, most of them have been related to rapid changes in CO2. So, you know, what we're, what we're experiencing now is something similar to those mass extinctions. And uh, in fact, right now, botanists believe we're in the sixth mass extinction, you know, as far as our animal and plant species. But it's the, the rapidity of change. Um, that's, that's the big difference. And when it changes that fast, animal species, plants, they cannot adapt quickly enough. Okay, that's, that's, the, you know, that's part of the problem. And of course, melting of the glaciers is another, you know. Well, the glaciers the melt and glaciers, yeah. glaciers reform too. And sometimes we're exposed to the pictures of them melting, but we're never exposed to the pictures of them reforming. And so I just want to be honest on both sides of this. Yes, we have climate change, but the thing that has always struck me is that guys like Al Gore, who have become multimillionaires, almost billionaires in Gore's case, I mean, he's worth multiple hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, and he didn't make that in government service. He made it because, A, his family dealt in oil and tobacco, which is a great source of air pollution, uh, 
and Al Gore may be the biggest hypocrite that ever lived on this planet, in my opinion, and he has given us specific timetables for when we're all going to die, and nothing has ever taken place the way that they have said. And it moves out in 50-year increments. Every time we reach a deadline and we're all still alive, then they move it out another 50 years. Now AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, is saying we have 12 years before we can never recover. Do you agree with her? Uh, let, me, let me respond to what you're saying about Al Gore first. Um, I don't know if any of that's true about you know the, the gas and the tobacco and all that. Uh, he did a great service in... Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Alerting the world to the process of climate change. He's not a climate scientist, but he was an, a, an educator. He was a um, communicator, and he did a great service in that. You know, you, you're, you have a problem with him being rich, and yet, you know, you love Mr. Trump. And he, as I understand it, he's quite a billionaire, so I don't quite follow the difference there. Well, Why, Trump, some people can be rich, but sure. others can't. Well, no, I, I would love to be rich. In fact, uh, you're welcome to make a contribution toward that any time that you would like. But uh, Trump goes out and actually builds things that people use. He builds skyscrapers. He builds hotels. Uh, sometimes he does casinos that don't work, but that's another story. Al Gore has gotten rich off of a theory and off of scaring the, the crap out of people, essentially, and out of selling something called carbon credits, which he's got the money to buy plenty of, so he doesn't have to change his lifestyle. Let me ask you about people like Al Gore and, 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 and Robert Whoa. Kennedy Jr., who, who go around preaching climate change in private jets. The part about Mr. Gore, or Vice President Gore, becoming rich from carbon credits, I don't know what, what you're talking about. But well, I, don't, he, I was hoping you could explain he, it to me because is, I don't either. You know, he did not say everybody's going to die. That's a gross exaggeration. AOC didn't say everybody's going to die. But they wait, are, wait, 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 wait. the they climate the science is, is clear. And she, what she's quoting when she talks about, she talks about 11 years, what the IPC says mm -hmm. is that we need to cut our emissions by 45%. Uh, if we're going to make net zero by 2050. You yourself on this interview just said that, yes, fossil fuels have helped uh, increase our lifestyle, but it won't matter on a dead planet. So we're all going to die if we don't fix well, this. That's what we're being told. You know, that's, I, what I, that's how I take it. Well, when I say dead planet, that's a, it's sort of a... Um, 
you know, it's a colorful term. It doesn't mean everyone. Okay. Of us, I didn't say right. every one of us is going to die. So all this stuff you're telling us is is sort of uh, take it with a grain of salt. We're not all going to die. The coastal lines, uh, the coast is all, not all going to go underwater. Uh, the air is not going to become unbreathable. It's just going to make it somewhat worse than it is now. No, uh, you're 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 putting words in my mouth. The the science is very clear what's going to happen, and it is very very dangerous. You can't make make light of it. By 2050, some 300 million people, their homes will be underwater at high tide, just at high tides. 300 million. That's one example. As temperature increases, um, we'll have more and more crop failure. With each one degree, it's something like. Uh, I forget the exact percentage, but you know we'll have a percentage of crop loss because crops cannot adapt to temperature changes that quickly. Um, there are you know many you know impacts of climate change that we're aware of that are can be catastrophic if we allow it to continue. Now we're not saying that everybody is going to die at twenty you know the day it turns twenty fifty doesn't you know that's a that's really silly to to suggest that. But the projections that the IPCC, the climate scientists have made, have largely come true, or they've even, um, you know, un un underestimated. Some of the changes have happened more rapidly than than we thought they would. So it is. It's a very serious problem. You know, it, you, you can't make light of it. You say that, uh, well, Mr. Trump has built stuff. So well, that's great. So, you know, uh, Vice President Gore has informed people and enlighten them about climate change as if that's not important. That is a crucial, it's a crucial thing. It's important, it's, it's as important and build, as building a hotel because when people became concerned about climate change and he was a big part of that, we started to have action, you know, and then the IPCC, the COP25 meeting was held and, you know, we reached the, the Paris Agreement, I'm sorry, that's COP21 when the Paris Agreement was signed. Um, so he played a, a very big role in, in enlightening people and um, making people be concerned about, about the future of our biosphere. So I, I, I would not make light of what he did. My guest is Dr. Alan Northcutt, a climate activist from Waco, Texas. We'll talk to him some more about the Green New Deal right here on Planet Logic. Fox primetime host Tucker Carlson has an idea for fighting climate change. He says plant more trees. Tucker had weatherbell.com chief meteorologist Joe Bastardi on to react to his 2020 tree planting challenge. I played the tape for Dr. Alan Northcutt and asked him to react. Well, not only that, but nuclear power. There's uh, people that uh, think the combination of nuclear power and planting enough trees, let's say across the entire world, the, the size of Canada would uh, offset the carbon dioxide production by uh, mankind. And the question is, why wouldn't you try that? It's much less expensive both ways, for one. There must be some other reason, though. And, oh. you know, there are times when I look at what this, do you suppose I don't that think is, they Joe? want this. Well, uh, you, you, we both know what we believe it is, but I, I don't think they want this to go away. I think there's only one answer that they want, and uh, this is a new green deal we could all get behind. Let's plant more trees, right? Exactly. And by the way, it's, fa it's fascinating watching this because, you know, plants grow best at about 1,500 parts per million of carbon dioxide. 
and we're currently at about 410 parts per million of carbon dioxide. There is a natural synergism between animal life and plant life, probably someplace in between, because animals exhale 100 times more carbon dioxide than they inhale. That's right. You're a carbon pollutant organism. You are. That's what you are. The Make trees like love that. They get huh. that and they yes. They get that and they grow. In fact, uh, Tucker, it's getting dangerous out there. I have trees trying to hug me. So because they know human beings, well, they don't know that, but the fact is that the planet is now greener than it's ever been in the satellite era. Circling back real quick here to Dr. Will Happer, this is exactly the point he was making. We're pulling out of a CO2 drought, that the, the climate optimums, the best time for life on the planet is when a little bit warmer and there's more CO2 in the air, and that's just been established through the geological history. So yes. why, why, do we go, why are we going to spend $10 trillion to save 0.01 Celsius over 30 years when we can try this? There is no downside to planting redwoods and eastern white pines. All right, so that was Tucker Carlson and Joe Bastardi, who is, I guess, what you would call a climate denier, but he seems to think things are all right and that planting trees will help. So, Dr. Alan Northcutt, uh, what about it? Okay, well, there's two parts to my answer to that. First of all, planting trees is part of the solution, and that's being uh, promoted even by the United Nations. So there are huge efforts around the planet to plant trees. They serve as a carbon sink, but that is not enough. Uh, that will not, you know, by itself keep our CO2 levels you know, at the point that we need them. So we still have to cut uh, greenhouse gas emissions. The other part of that is we will still, the CO2 will still go into the ocean and we'll continue to have ocean acidification. And that is a very dangerous problem that could disrupt the whole marine food chain. So that's why trees alone are not adequate. Um, number two, uh, he's a climate denier. Let me say this, and I haven't in this discussion haven't mentioned this. And there are a few climate deniers. There may be a couple that, are, that do this on honest basis. There are some that are paid by the fossil fuel industry. Some of them are the same scientists that were uh, apologists for the tobacco industry back in the day. You know, there were some of the same scientists, some of the same advertising agencies. So we've been through this before. So let me show say where I am and I this is not just me uh, stating this studies multiple studies have been done on the degree of um, uh, consensus among climate scientists there's about six to seven different studies that have been formed the consensus ranges from zero to 100 percent depending on slightly different you know methodologies of those studies some looked at papers some did uh, questionnaires, different ways they, they did the analysis. But you can see from that the consensus is extremely high. And let me say that in medicine, we don't usually have a consensus that high, and yet we do act on the best knowledge that we have. So this is definitely a level of consensus that we have to act upon, even though there's, you know, a couple outlier scientists that, you know, disagree. And besides that, there are hundreds of scientific agencies or uh, organizations like the American Academy of Science, others in countries all around the world, 
Um, the United States military is very concerned about climate science. They don't consider climate change a just a cycle. They understand um, the climate crisis. They consider a threat multiplier, you know, for dangers around the planet. They're on board. They understand it. And let me say that even a group that you might not think would would understand climate science, the economists, um, there's a uh, statement signed by about 3,500 United States economists, including um, Nobel laureate, laureates, uh, very prominent uh, economists, and they state in the first line of their of their um, little document that climate change is a problem uh, for the future of our biosphere, and they call for a carbon tax, uh, a carbon tax where the uh, carbon dividend is returned to the to the people, so it won't you know harm them financially. But even the economists you know, community of the United States uh, is on board, and of course, all countries uh, uh, on the planet are members of the Paris Agreement. Um, so, you know, the amount of, the number of people or the uh, institutions or whatever that, that don't accept the uh, climate science is extremely minute and you know, we have to go well, forward with renewable energy and cutting our uh, greenhouse gas emissions. There's well then, no doubt. Then let's get to the New Green Deal and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who seems to be in charge of all that right now. Uh, it's going to cost trillions and trillions of dollars, and it's going to put government in more charge over everybody's lives. You just mentioned the carbon tax, for example. Uh, we're in uh, kind of in a trend under Trump and, and a little bit under Bush to try to lower taxes. And when we lower taxes, we see more businesses come in. We see the country prosper a lot more. If we're going to be a high-tax state as America, as, say, New York and California are as actual states within the United States, and people are moving out of those states because they can't afford to live there, they can't afford their housing, they can't afford food, they can't afford to pay the taxes that they have there, how does that help us? Let's say we save the planet, but we don't save the people. Well, the, the climate tax, the one that's pr uh, proposed is a tax and dividend where, you know, the, uh, an, uh, an amount is returned to, you know, each family or, you know, person. So corporations annually. are paying the tax. Is that right? And then the corporation well, will raise the, the prices the, of its services the or emitters, goods? The emitters. Yeah, emitters, are, sure. And so the idea is if, you know, let's say the price of gasoline goes up some, then to offset that, citizens get this dividend back. But so, one of so the, they come out but equal. One of the big it's emitters. designed so that they will be equal and they will be not hurt financially. But one of the big emitters, for example, is the airline industry. Jet fuel emits a tremendous amount of, of carbon into the air. A ticket, round-trip ticket to Chicago, I don't know, what is it, about $450 or something like that? that that's liable to go to two or $3,000. How do people afford it? Um, the airline industry is only about 2% of global emissions. It's not a very high you know, percentage. It does, it does matter, of course. They are uh, hard at work at cutting their emissions. They're, they're, they don't, they're not ignoring this, this problem. They're working on, 
you know, electrifying uh, sure. planes. In fact, there are some small, um, small distance flights happening already in Europe. There are some electric planes in the United States, so that that's developing. Um, and uh, they're working on biofuels. My understanding is that biofuels will work now, but the problem is the expense. You know, we haven't found a way to make it um, cost, you know, effective as far as that goes. But the avi aviation industry is working on uh, cutting their emissions. So I think it is possible that the cost of uh, airline tickets could, could go up. I, I can't rule that out, but... Um, I think that would be partially compensated by the the dividend that we're talking about as well. If I'm listening to AOC and hearing what I think I'm hearing, she doesn't want any airplanes. She wants to get rid of them. She wants to take us back, I guess, to the 19th century. Is, is that what global warming is about? Is, is it going to be like the old short story, uh, uh, gosh, I'll have to remember the name of it, uh, where, where every, where these invaders came in and started eating all the electrical impulses to the fact where to the point where you couldn't use that type of energy and we all went back to the horse and buggy days that is false and that has already been debunked the part about no cows no airplanes um that is not in the green new deal it definitely is not in the green new deal that's already been no cows. Uh, that's already been exposed. No cows that's, because cow, we not, can't have cow, cow flatulence. That is not in the Green New Deal. Now, I let me say this for for your audience, people who want to do something about who are concerned about climate change, and a majority of, of people in the United States are sixty four percent accept the science. Oh, it's up to a recent study. It's up to eighty percent now accept the, the science of climate change, and. If they want to do something about it, a thing that folks can do is change their diet. A vegan diet has the lowest uh, carbon footprint followed by a vegetarian diet. Uh, I'm a vegan myself because I know that I have uh, less you know, emissions related to my food consumption. If you can't do that, I would recommend to folks that they do a meatless Monday. You know, one day a week, I think people could give up meat if they knew that it would benefit uh, the planet. But this is something that's a choice. There is not in the Green New Deal a, cause, a call to you know, get rid of all cows and airplanes. That is not in there. By the way, the name of that short story just occurs to me. It was called The Waveries, The Waveries. And if you've never read that story, it's from the 40s or 50s, and it, it almost to a T forecast kind of where we are right now with the discussions that you and I are having today. This story was having it then. And at the end of the story, the people were all comfortable and settled into their lives as essentially people of the 18th or 19th century because they, they had no more cars, they had no more toasters, no more television sets, no computers because electricity had been eliminated and that type of energy had thus been eliminated. Well, but you're not looking <laughs> for something like that. Well, I think you know that that's absolutely not what, what I've been saying. We're not talking about eliminating electricity in any way. That's a that's a fiction a novel, I'm assuming. We're talking about a new, healthier form of electricity, you know, that generated by renewables. And we're not going to get rid of computers or, you know, any of the amenities that we have. We just have to find a way to power them uh, with a source that will not worsen uh, global warming and not lead to 
horrendous effects of climate change. All right, a couple of things here before we wrap it up. Will we get a new Green Deal? Will the Democrats and the Republicans have to come to some sort of compromise in order to get there? And, and, and once we do it, uh, how are the American people uh, going to like it? We will uh, have some form of a Green New Deal. Uh, I have no doubt the uh, we will have a change in, in leadership and in administration uh, next year. We'll have somebody who recognizes uh, climate science, you know, have some leadership on that. And I, I believe we will have some legislation. I think a good place to start, which is not very traumatic and is not difficult to do, would be a, a carbon tax and dividend. And essentially all economists are in agreement that that is the most effective way to proceed. You know, and if you if you have a increased price for something like fossil fuels, then less of it gets used and people look for an alternative and you'll have greater growth. We'll have more uh, advancement in the technology for renewable energy. We'll ha you'll have an incentive for corporations, you know, to invest in R&D uh, in directions away from fossil fuels, which have become more exp expensive. So think, yes, I think we will, and I hope that a carbon tax and dividend will be a big part of that. And you don't think that a Green New Deal of any type would crash the economy? Uh, no. In fact, there are multiple studies showing that when you look, let's say, between now and 2050, um, the cost of doing nothing is is higher than the cost of acting. That is, the cost to mitigate um, climate change or the climate crisis is less than all the impacts that we will, will see. You know, the worsening storms like California burning, um, horrible forest fires, you know, these super storms, uh, category five plus now they're calling it. Venice right now is having the worst flooding uh, you know, almost ever extreme, extreme flooding in Venice, uh, worsening drought in Africa. So those impacts, and that's only at 1.1 C of increased temp. As it gets higher, these impacts will be compounded. So the fact is that multiple studies show we're better off financially by, by taking action. When I was a young boy, I lived through Hurricane Carla, then Hurricane Beulah. It went on and on and on. Uh, the, the great hurricane that devastated Galveston was, what, turn of the century, sometime around there. Uh, we've had natural disasters going, going, going back to Pompeii. We've always had them, and we always will have them. And to say that global warming is affecting that is, uh, or climate change is just beyond me. But... You and I both agree on some things. We want to breathe clean air and drink clean water. And uh, we will see how it all I works think, out. Uh, I think you should let me respond to that. Of course, sure. we've, of course we've had natural disasters. I mean, I, no one's denying that. No climate scientist would deny that. But uh, the warming of the atmosphere, the warming of the ocean surface temperature are making these worse. And we have, we have statistics showing that Category 5... Uh, hurricanes are seven times worse. I think the, the starting point was 1980, if I'm not mistaken, but there's been a marked increase in worse, uh, higher level hurricanes. 
obviously worsening uh, forest fires. I think anybody can observe that in California. Well, in California, so, they have uh, uh, they have idiotic policies out there against ever clearing out any trees or any brush. And when the no, fires start, no. there's plenty of fuel for them. So almost that's, all of those forests were mm-hmm. on federal land. That's that's another uh, uh, misconception, but. Um, of course, we've had natural disasters, but they are being amplified and made more severe by climate change. All right. Well, we agree on a few things. We don't agree on, agree on a few things, but we'll agree on this. This, this Green New Deal is going to be very interesting to see what happens over the next few years. I'm not quite as sure as you are that we're going to have a change in the White House next uh, in 2020 or 2021, but we'll see what happens. My guest is Dr. Alan Northcutt, climate activist from Waco. And Dr. Northcutt, thanks a lot for being here. Thank you. And our biosphere votes for a change in the White House. This is Planet Logic. Find us online at planetlogic.us. We're at Planet Logic on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, Lynn Woolley saying, be logical, take a stand for this great country, and God bless President Trump. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.